Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. I want to invite you into this last week of this financial series entitled Test Me in This. If you haven't been with us, uh, there's a few things I want to cover. I just want to recap the last couple of weeks because there's four big points that we've made that I think you need to know before we move on to what we're uh, dealing with today. And uh, this, this subject can be touchy, as I said just a minute ago. It's, it's one of those things where so often we think that we can't speak into this subject as a church. And I want you to know that uh, it, it's just the opposite. Jesus spoke a lot about it. And if we don't speak about it, we're an un- unbiblical church. And so we want to make sure that we're teaching exactly what Jesus taught about our finances. And so over the last couple of weeks, uh, what we've learned, uh, number one, is that we take a test every time we get paid, whether that's weekly or bi-monthly or you know, per job if you're self-employed, whatever it is for you, every time we receive income, we're taking a test. And the, the test is this, who is Lord over that area of our life? And for many of us, we call ourselves believers. We've been walking with Christ for a while. And yet, even in this area we, we think that this is off limits, like this is an area that we keep secret. I'm the Lord of this area, even though I, I've dedicated my life to Christ. And the problem with that is we're trying to do it on our own. We're not inviting God into it. And you need to know, if that's you, that only God has the ability to bless your finances. Not MasterCard, not Visa, not Amazon Prime, but God and God alone is the only one that can bless your finances. And, and what he requires of us is what we call a tithe. It's 10%. It's a Hebrew word that just means 10%. And, and what we're doing is we're not giving it to him. We're just bringing it back because we, we've learned that everything that we have is from him in the first place. And he's just asking for us to trust him with that. And when we tithe back, what we're saying in that moment is we're trusting him with this area of our life. We are saying, I fully trust you. I put my faith in you, God, that you can do more with 90% than I could do with 100. And that's really what this is. It's, It's a step of faith and trusting God. And what we've learned in scripture is that God responds to that. This title Trust me in this came from Malachi chapter 3.10, where God literally says, try me or test me in this. It's almost like he's daring us. Why? Because he knows from from the beginning of time till now that this was going to be a a tripwire for us. It It had the potential of becoming an idol, something that we would place our trust in instead of him. And for many of us, we have to admit when it comes to this area of our life that, that we really do believe that, uh, that we can do a better job with it than he can. And so therefore, we struggle in, in bringing the tithe back to God. And this tithing is important because in Malachi chapter 3.10, we found out that tithing is the only place in Scripture where he invites us to test him. It's why he does that. It says in other places, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And yet in this moment, when it comes to our finances, he's like, no, test me. Because he knew this was going to be such an, such an obstacle, a hurdle for us in our lives. Uh, from the beginning of time, provision and making it to tomorrow and putting food on the table and, and having a place to live and all these things, he knew that that was going to be a struggle for us. And, and God says, look, trust me. 
and see if I don't fling open the floodgates of heaven and supply so much that you, don't even, you can't even store it. That's what he says. And I want to reiterate what I've said over the last couple of weeks, that I'm not preaching a prosperity doctrine. I'm not telling you that you give God a dollar and he's going to give you two back. That's not what this is. But that blessing comes to us in so many different ways. It can come to us in, in the form of joy and peace and, and contentment and fulfillment and repaired relationships and all of these other things. It's amazing how, how many ways God blesses us when we put him first in this area of our lives. And when you bring God your first and best, he promises to bless the rest. That's a promise in Scripture. That's why I can speak boldly up here for the last several weeks and, and challenge you to do this. And it used to be years ago, I really struggled in, in talking about this within the church. And I've gotten to a place now where I've heard so many of your stories where you took that step of faith and you begin to tithe and you saw God move in such a mighty way that I'm, I'm, as we go along, I'm getting more and more bold myself because I know God is faithful. Right on? He is faithful. And he responds to us when we place our faith in him. And so today... I want to share with you a truth that I, I don't think is going to be revolutionary. Like, this isn't something that's going to blow your socks off. But here's what's interesting about it. All of us, I think, instinctively are going to agree with this, and yet we're not really, to the core of who we are, we're not really believing it. Like, we've believed a lie that takes us down a different path. Now, we, we live our lives according to the lie and not according to the truth. And the truth is this. There's a Big, and I can't emphasize that enough, a big, big, big difference between your standard of living and your quality of life. There's a big difference. They're not tied together. And if you don't know the difference between the two, uh, the standard of living, if you want to think about it this way, is the money that you make. It's your income. It's, it's how nice your homes and your cars are. It's, it's the kind of vacations that you go on. It's, it's uh, for some of us guys, right, it's how many toys we have. That's the standard of living. And when it comes to quality of life, quality of life is completely different. It's how happy you are. It's the joy that you experience in this life. It's the peace and contentment and really the fulfillment that you experience in your life. So they are, are completely different from one another. Now, the reason that we don't think about it is because every day... Every marketing strategy, if you watch commercials, listen to commercials on the radio, all of these marketing strategies try to tell you that those two things are linked. That automatically, if you increase your standard of living, that your quality of life will go up. And, and watch for this over this next week and see if it's not true. You fill in the product. Whatever it is, if you have this, you're going to be happier. Your life is going to be better. People are going to like you more. You're going to be more of a success, and, and somehow we have tied standard of living and quality of life together, and it's a lie. I want you to know that. It's, it's a complete lie. It's not true, and some of you know this. You're living it right now because you make more money right now than you ever have. You have a better home. You have better cars than ever, and you have less peace than when you made a lot less. You're experiencing a lot more stress today than you ever have. Or you're getting into more arguments about money, even though you make more money today than you ever have. Now, um, do you know what we're really told in Scripture? It, it, we're told that if you increase your standard of living, you can actually decrease your quality of life. This is the truth. They're not tied together, and actually the opposite can be true. Many of you know this. 
Some of you are, are living this right now. Now, which, which one do you think God is more interested in your life? Do you think he's more interested in your standard of living or your quality of life? Okay. Do you think he wants you to have a great marriage and be scraping by? Or do you think he wants you to have a horrible marriage and go on exotic vacations? Yeah. He's more interested in your quality of life. He's more interested in your joy and your peace and your contentment and your fulfillment. Uh, for you to have, I think it's one of those things that um, we need to understand that these two things are not tied together. And we have bought into that lie by everything that we've watched and everything that we've heard. And somehow we believe that if we just reach that next level, if we just buy that next thing, that our peace and contentment, our joy is going to go up. And the sooner that we learn that the standard of living and quality of life are not linked, the better off we're going to be. Now, something I think for the most part, uh, kind of a rule of thumb, it's not always true, but for the most part, the longer you live, the, the more experience you get, the more training you get over time, I think for many of us, we see this happen. Our income goes up especially if you stay in the same job for a while and you're getting more training and more experience, you'll just see the income over time gradually tends to go up. Now, the problem with that is not the income, but what happens next. Because usually when our income is going up, this is what we do. We continue to spend. And some of you are laughing at that because you're like, no, that red line should actually be above that other line, right? Because we get a $2 pay raise and we spend $3, right? That's what we do. Now, why, why do we do this? Because I think we spend every dollar that comes in. Do you realize that eight out of 10 Americans today are living paycheck to paycheck? They're living just like this. And you might be going, well, what's the problem with that? That's the way I live. Well, here's the issue with it. If you live this way, you, you don't experience any financial peace. There's no financial peace that comes with living like this. I know many of you are living like this and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, when I make more, like if I get that next promotion or if I get that next pay scale, that, that's coming next month, I think. It's been coming for a while, but I'm going to get it next month. And if I get that, then I'm going to have more peace. Then, then we'll be living the life. And the truth is, happiness depends on creating margin, more on, uh, on creating margin than getting more stuff. It's not about getting more stuff. It's about creating that margin and... and, and Creating that margin is what leads to quality of life. Now, sometimes that sounds countercultural. It's backwards to what we're taught, especially based on all the marketing schemes, because we think the more we spend, the more stuff we buy, the happier we're going to get. And some of you have learned that that's not true at all. Now, what does it look like to create more margin in your life, to experience more peace, to increase your quality of life? Well, I think if I was going to put it on a graph, it would look like this. As your income goes up, you don't spend every dollar. You learn how to create more margin. And it's in that margin that we begin to find peace. We begin to really experience quality of life. Now, how do you create this margin? How do you get to this place? Well, I think you can do it several ways. You can actually get rid of debt. That's one way. You can uh, lower your spending and you can increase your savings. And this is so countercultural, but, but some of us need to know this morning that for some of us, lowering our standard of living to create more margin may increase your quality of life. Like getting rid of some stuff, creating this margin, lowering that standard, you're going to experience more quality of life right here and right now. So let's talk about how to do that. I think there are two types of spending that we do. 
The first one is we spend money that we have, right? That's, that's what we talked about earlier. But I also think there's another spending that we in the Western world have really gotten into, and it's spending money that we don't have, right? We do that really well. And what's that called when you spend money that you don't have? Debt. Yeah, it's called debt. And in the Bible, I want you to know that tithing is commanded, saving is strongly encouraged, and debt is discouraged. Now, right off the bat, let me just say this real quick. I'm not saying that debt is a sin. It's not a sin, because we do see that in Scripture, but I want you to know it's risky because it enslaves you. Where do I get that from? Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, going to verse 7, says this, Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is what? Servant to the lender. So it's risky because it enslaves us. Several years ago, we had a guy by the name of Barry Cameron. He was a pastor out of Texas. He wrote a book called The ABCs of Financial Freedom. And he came and spoke to us. And in his book, he actually wrote this. He said, we spend money we don't have on things we don't need to impress people we don't even like. Mortgaging a future we won't be able to enjoy because of a past we'd like to forget. Man, I think that's so true for many of us in this room today. This is where we're living right now. I saw a, an advertisement for a financial institution. I won't tell you the name of it, but I saw this yesterday. It was pretty funny. And their slogan I really liked because I think it's appropriate. It fits with what we just read here. But their slogan was, don't make your future self hate you. I thought, man, what a great line, right? Uh, Proverbs 13 tells us, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. That hope deferred, that's debt. That's the shortcut. Uh, the shortcut to what we want. Hope deferred. It makes the heart sick. Now, if you want an acronym for debt, I'll just give you this one. Um, just say it this way. Don't even buy that. Okay, that would be great acronym for debt. Just don't even buy that. Why? Because debt enslaves us. It, it weighs us down. Proverbs 21 says it this way. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Yeah. And so what would debt be? Would that be your planning or would that be your hasty shortcuts? Yeah. So debt is leading us into poverty. And many Americans are living way beyond their means. And so what they're having to do is they're having to take out loans. They're having to live on someone else's money. They're living in debt. And when it comes to finances, what we need instead of these hasty shortcuts is we need planning and hard work. And what does that mean? That means a budget. That means living on a budget. Now, there's a lot of different ways of doing a budget. And you might have one, and that's great. But I want to teach you a simple rule of thumb when it comes to budgeting that I think is very biblical. And it's very simple. It's just a rule of thumb that you can apply to your budget. And it's one that we've taught in the past, but it's called the 10-10-80. You could call it 10-10-80 budget, the 10-10-80 rule, however you want to do it. But the way it works is this. Right off the top, you tithe 10% because that's what we're commanded to do in Scripture. The next one that's, that's encouraged in Scripture is to save. So we save 10%. And then what's left over, the 80%, is what we spend or or we actually use to live off of. And if you can live off of that 80%, then you're doing very good because you're tithing 10 and saving 10 and you're creating that margin in your life so that you can increase your quality of life. Now, as I say this, I felt like coming into this week, I was gonna have to be transparent with you. And so let me share something with you. My wife and I have done very good at this. We've been trying to do a better job of it. But last fall, we realized we were, there were some things that weren't right. And as all marriages, right, we started, what are you doing? 
No, what are you doing, right? And so we started this, this little discussion, like, where, why is this happening? Like, we should have more money in that account. What is going on? We're not saving the 10% like we wanted to. And we sat down and literally went through all of our costs together, because that's what you're supposed to do. You know what we found out, and, and you might relate to this, and I'm just kind of giving you a real-life example of this 10-10-80. We found out we weren't saving the 10%. Somehow we were living off of it, and we thought, you know, the other one was spending money, and we couldn't figure out where it was going. And, and here's what we found out, and again, you might relate to this. Um, our tax assessment on our house caused our mortgage to go way up. Anybody? Hey, yeah, so that's a cost of living. That was a hard cost that hit us. Uh, the, uh, the other one that hit us was um, we actually got rid of a car, so we got down to one car. We said we can make it on one car. And even going down to one car, our gas budget went up by a third. Anyone? Yeah. It was crazy. I'm like, wait, we're half the cars. Why is our budget going up? It's because gas prices went up. Uh, the other thing, too, is, and it, this doubled on us, was our grocery bill. Anyone? Because our eggs have to come from range-free chickens and, you know, all that other stuff, right? And so that's where we're living right now. And, and I just want to let you know, this is a rule of thumb, and we're trying our best to do it, but even, even my wife and I, we're struggling right now. And so I want to acknowledge that, because I know many of you are leaving here the last couple of weeks, and, and, and hopefully not this week, but leaving a little discouraged, going, man, we're not where we need to be. And I don't want that to be the case. I want you to know that this is a work in progress, and sometimes things change, and you've got to make adjustments. And that's where we're at right now. We're in, we're in a time of change, and we're trying to make some adjustments right now to keep that margin and to increase our quality of life. And sometimes that comes at the expense of our standard of living. Now, one of the questions that I get every time we do a series like this is, I know that, that God hates debt. God doesn't want us to be in debt. And so I need to pay off my debt. So here's my idea. And pastor, tell me if you think this is a good idea. I'm going to stop tithing so that I can take that money and put it on my debt until I get out of debt, okay? Now, I'm not going to tell you what my conversation is with those people, okay? I'll just tell you my own experience. When I was about 22, 23 years old, married, uh, we were deep in debt. I've shared that with you before, deep in debt. And I went to an associate pastor at the church uh, that we were going to at that time, and I asked that exact same question. And this pastor, I, I think meaning well, told me this. He said, do what you need to do because God understands. That's what he said. And so you know what I did? I stopped paying tithes to pay off debt. Do you think I paid off debt? What? No trust in me at all, huh? Wow. But you're right. <laughs> I didn't pay off any debt. Why? Because it's just more money that I could spend. So we ended up not tithing and not getting out of debt and even going into debt further. So here's what I've learned, okay? So I'm not going to give you an answer, but here's this, this is just the lesson I learned. I think if I had to do it all over again, I, I would say don't stop tithing to pay off debt because it's wise when you ask God to bless you in a certain area that you continue to honor him in that area. Does that make sense? That, that's what I've learned in my own life. Why? Well, because Proverbs 3 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce period. That's what it says. It doesn't say, well, unless you're, you know, over $10,000 in debt. It doesn't say anything like that. It just says, honor God with your wealth and the best part of everything you produce. See, we create margin by eliminating debt. We need to get rid of that, get it out altogether. 
Um, the other way, though, to create margin is by saving. And I know every time I bring this up, here's, here's what I have. I have conversations with well-meaning Christians that go, you're talking about savings, but really, isn't that like anti-faith? Like even Jesus, when he was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, said, hey, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. That, that's not talking to me about savings. So I, I don't know if that's faith. Maybe I should just put faith in Jesus and not worry about saving any money, right? This is the conversation that we have based on what we read in Scripture. But here's what I understand. When you take the totality of Scripture and, and savings is encouraged, I would say this is something that Jesus knew even when he was teaching the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus knew that you wouldn't worry so much about tomorrow if you saved a little bit today. And that's truth. Uh, we need to listen to the wisdom here in Proverbs chapter 21 that says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Spending whatever they get, what is that? That's what we do, right? Paycheck to paycheck. Is that saving? That's not saving. So anybody that doesn't save, what does Scripture call them? Fools. Calls them fools. See, wise people create margin. Fools spend their income. And the truth is, lowering your standard of living to save for tomorrow can actually increase your quality of life today. It's immediate. When you start to honor God in your finances and you begin to even cut back in your standard of living to save, it's amazing what happens to your quality of life. You might think, oh no, selling my boat? I can't do that, right? But as soon as you do it and you begin to honor God, it's amazing how your quality of life will go up. The peace that sets in and the joy that you get when you actually save for your future, you can experience peace and joy and contentment today. That's how, how immediate this is when we begin to honor God in this area of our lives. And I want to show you two areas where this is true. I think you can save to create margin for short-term emergencies. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why we need to save. It's amazing to me how many of us are surprised when something breaks down, right? Like, I, got, I need tires? Like, I just bought those 60,000 miles ago. What happened, right? This is what we do. And even Jesus told us in John 16, he says, in life there will be trouble, and yet we're believers and we're surprised every time trouble rolls around, right? The water, the, the water heater went out. What in the world? It's 30 years old. I can't believe it would go out today. I didn't save for that. And the reason that we're upset when things break is not because it broke, but because we weren't prepared for it. This is why we need to save for short-term emergencies, if you go through Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey will teach you that if you're in debt, the first step that you need to make is to save $1,000 for short-term emergencies. And the reason for that is because of the Murphy Law, right? Anything that will go wrong or can go wrong will go wrong. And that's what happens to you. And, I, and I'll tell you why from a spiritual standpoint. If today you make decisions that you're going to honor God in the financial area of your life, guess who's going to uh, come knocking at the door? The enemy, yeah. He's going to do everything he can to, to trip you up. But when you save $1,000 and you, you guard yourself against all of those little things, tires, water heaters, things like that, right? It helps you to stay on task, to continue on the course of honoring God in your finances. Now, Ramsey also teaches that $1,000 is, is while you're in debt, but once you get out of debt, the first thing that you're supposed to do is start saving up for a three to six month essentials, your mortgage and everything else. And this is to protect you in case you lose your job or something catastrophic happens. And, and this is to create more margin in your life. Now, let me just give you a free tip, okay? I'm not going to charge you for this. This is free. It's yours, all right? 
You ready for this? This might shock you. Christmas comes around every year on December 25th. Free. That's yours, right? You guys are laughing, but we all do it, right? Like we get there and we're like, oh no, we got we to gotta go do this. And then the family wants to do that. And we need to, oh man, the presents. And, and we act like it's a surprise every year. Birthdays, they fall on the same date every year. And then what happens is we're like, oh no, let's just charge it. Boom, right? Now, now to put it in perspective, if you left here today and you went out and you put $1,000 on a credit card and you just made the minimum payment, you would be paying on that $1,000 until 2029, and you would pay over $1,500. Half again more is what you're paying for, for that credit card. I wonder how many of us would say that we have no idea that we, we need to save, and even save for the future, because not only is uh, saving creating margin for short-term emergencies, but also for long-term future. It's not just for now. It's for down the road. Many of us aren't even thinking about retirement or what might happen down the road when we're not going to have the income that we're enjoying today. Money Magazine actually says one in three Americans have zero saved up for retirement. One in three, zero. Like retirement is coming. And if I was going to put it on a graph, I'd say it this way. Income and spending, if you live like this, the problem is someday, there's, there's a day coming when you're not going to be able to work anymore. And it might be retirement. It might be an injury. It might be something else, but something's going to happen, and you're not going to be able to work anymore. Do you think the spending ends? No, because it continues because you have to live. And what we need to be doing is creating margin to cover those expenses. We need to learn from Proverbs chapter 6, which says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. You like that? That's in Scripture. I just love that, right? Lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become what? Wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor all, all, uh, hard all summer, gathering food for the what? For the what? The winter. Do you know what the winter is? Yeah, the winter is injury. The winter is retirement. The winter is that hard season when you lose your job and you're trying to find something else. There is a winter coming for all of us. And we need to be creating margin. We need to be saving for that so that we can overcome that. Uh, Proverbs 13 says, Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. Here's what I know about saving. Because I get this all the time. I, I hear people say, you know what? Um, when I get more money, I'll start saving. When I get that promotion or, or I get that pay raise, I'll start saving. When, well, we're we're going to get rid of a car and then we're going to start saving. When the kids leave the house... That's when we're going to start putting money aside for retirement. When I get that promotion, can I just say all of the, you're not going to do it. You won't. It doesn't work that way. You will only save if it becomes an emotional priority to you. Let, let me show you this way. If I challenged you today and said, you need to save $10,000, you need to have that in a savings account by this time next year, do you think you could do it? Most of us would say, mm, I don't know, right? But if I put it this way and I said, look, you have to save $10,000 in the next three months because one of your family members need it or they're going to die. Could you save $10,000? Absolutely. I mean, we'd be selling off stuff. We'd do everything that we can. Why? Because it becomes an emotional priority in that moment. 
It has to become emotional to us. We, we got to make it a priority, and we got to get after it if we're going, going to get our finances aligned with what God desires. Ramsey tells us that personal finances is 20% head knowledge and 80% behavior. What is he saying? He's saying, look, you've got to make this a habit. It's got to become a priority in your life. It's got to become important. And when God gets a hold of your heart and he changes your view on personal finances, that's when things change. That's when things start to, to align with what God desires for this part of our lives. And I want to show you why saving now for your future is so important, especially to the young families in the room. Because I didn't hear this, I didn't understand this till later in life, and when I finally understood it, I was so ticked off that somebody didn't show this to me earlier. And it comes out of the Financial Peace University curriculum. Uh, they, they show it this way. It's a, it's a comparison between two people, Ben and Arthur. And I know this is small up on your screen, but Ben is on the left, Arthur's on the right. And, and this is something incredible called compound interests. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to a lot of us, does it? But here's what it says. It says from the age of 19 to 26, Ben invests $2,000 every year for those eight years. But see, Arthur doesn't. He doesn't start till he turns 27. And then by the time he turns 64 or 65, he's put in 39 years worth of $2,000 every year. And even then, he doesn't have as much money as Ben. That's compound interest. And I was like, why didn't somebody teach me this earlier? Man, if I had learned this when I was in my 20s, it would have made all the difference in the world. But it's called compound interests. Albert Einstein calls compound interest the eighth wonder of the world. You know, one of the smartest guys on the face of the planet at the time, right? He's saying, hey, compound interest is incredible. And here's what I want you to get today. Is you can either make this work for you or against you. You either use this in your savings and make it work for you, or listen to me, if you're buried under credit card debt, this is what's working against you right now. And that's the scary part about this. Credit cards are using this against you. As we read earlier, Proverbs 21, it says, good planning and hard work lead to, say it loud, poverty, uh, prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Yeah. So it's up to us. Are, are we trying to take shortcuts? Or are we going to put the work in and actually do a budget and honor God with our finances and allow God to bless what's left over? Now, so many of us will, will make an excuse when we talk about savings and they'll say, look, I just don't have the money to save right now. And I want you to remember that lowering your standard of living to save for tomorrow can actually increase your quality of life today. You have the money. It's there. Now, how, how do we lower our standard of living? I think what I'd like to do is suggest a couple of things because I know that we have the money to do it. It's just we don't want to make the difficult decisions. And so I want to challenge you. So I'm going to offer some suggestions. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start off easy and then it's going to get a little harder and then I'm just going to make you mad. Is that a deal? Okay, I'm good at that. So let's do that, all right? So um, what about if you decided today that you were going to stop eating lunch at work every day? Like stop going out and eating lunch. Like, like if you made a sack lunch and took it with you every day to work, do you realize you could save over $200 a month? And if you took that $200 and you stuck it, stuck it in a mutual fund, um, over 20 years, you'd have $150,000 in savings. That's from just cutting out your lunches, from going out and eating and just taking a sack lunch with you. That's how much you can change this game. Like if you just get wise, um, and, and change it and make it work for you. That's, that's the impact that you can have. 
Uh, one of the ones that my wife and I talk about all the time, because this is our disease, is pop or soda or Coke, depending on where you're at from, you know, in the U.S., right? But it, and, and we're shocked because we used to pay, pay like $250, a 12-pack. Now it's like $80, something ridiculous. It feels like it, right? Yeah, it's up there. And I mean, we, if you're like us, you spend thousands of dollars every year on Diet Mountain Dew, right? And if we just cut that out, that's, that's a lot of money. Now, some of you, it's not, it's not pop. Maybe it's coffee, right? The average American spends like $120 a month on coffee. It's $128 a month on coffee. And you know what a bag of coffee costs if you just made it at home instead of taking it? Some of you are laughing at that because you're like, mm, $120, I wish, right? Because you buy a $5, $8 Starbucks on your way to work every day. And if you just cut that out and started saving that, what about cable? Oh, no, my favorite show. I can't miss season six, right? But honestly, the average American family spends $103 every month on cable. And you can cut that out and save that and put it to work for you. Now, let, let's get crazy for a minute, okay? Uh, what if you got rid of a car pavement? You traded the whip in and you got a beater, right? You did that. You're thinking, well, that's not that big of a deal. Do you know what the average car payment is in America? If you bought a new car, your average payment is $726 a month. And you're thinking, whew, we bought used. That's not bad, right? You know what used is? Used is $533 a month. That's a lot of money. And if you just cut that out, the average of that, if you cut that out, um, every year you'd have an extra over $7,500 of margin to use. That's a lot of money that you could be using to change the game for you. See, 80% of Americans are under financial stress today. They're living paycheck to paycheck. We're, we're mortgaging everything. We're, we're putting everything on debt. And we're putting ourselves in a position where we can't even breathe tomorrow just because we need something today. And can I just say, as God's people, we have to do something different. We got to change this. We need to honor God in this area. Remember, happiness depends more on creating margin than getting stuff. It's more about creating that margin. And I hope from here on out, if you're single, you're sitting down and you're doing a budget. If you're married, you're sitting down with your spouse and you're doing a budget and you guys are talking about margin. Like, where's our margin at and how can we make that up? So here's my challenge. I, I want to know from you, what is one thing that you can do to lower your standard of living to create margin and increase your quality of life? Just one thing. I mean, I threw out a whole bunch of stuff, but you might even have a better idea. What's one thing that you could do just immediately and in 2024 see a massive impact in your finances to create margin, to be able to save some money? Because I want you to win. I want you to win. So many of us are followers of Jesus Christ, and yet the one thing that we hold back from God that we won't put him Lord over is our finances. Back in the Crusades, the knights, before they would go into battle, they would baptize them in case they died in battle the next day so that they would, they would go to heaven. And what's interesting is um, history tells us that many times when they would baptize them, they would go into the waters, they would hold their sword out of the water. And so they would baptize everything but that hand and the sword. Why? So that they could go into battle next day and do whatever bloody mess they needed to do to take care of business. Now, unfortunately, I think many of us gave our lives to Christ years ago, but we're holding up our wallets. 
We're dedicating our whole lives in every area except for our finances to God because we want to do it the way that we want to do it. And, and let's be honest, it's not working. It's not working. And we need to place God in his rightful place in all areas of our lives, including our finances. And I promise you this, if you do that, you bring God your first and your best, he will bless the rest. I promise you. Not because I said it, but because scripture says it. I want to pray that you would have the strength to be able to take that step today. Would you join me in that prayer? Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in this moment. We ask, Lord, for um, courage. We ask that we would be able to take the step of faith to make you the Lord of our finances. Lord, this is such a difficult area because we struggle on putting food on the table and paying for the little one's braces and whatever it is, Lord, that gets, gets in the way and causes us to take our eyes off of you. And Lord, yet in this moment, I pray that we, we would just sense your Holy Spirit. We would receive that courage to be able to take this step and to trust you, to test you in this, to watch what you can do. Lord, and I know from your promises in Scripture that you'll meet us right where we're at. I pray that you would move mightily in those lives that take this, this challenge, that you would meet them, that, that they would see you move in their lives, in their finances, in their relationships, even in the quality of life, to bring joy and peace, contentment, and fulfillment into their life. God, I pray that all of this is continuing not only to mold and shape us into people that look like you, but to increase our faith so that we would even be stronger in our walk with you and trusting you with everything that we have in life. God, we just pray all of this creates us as individuals and as a church to be a bright light in this dark world for you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people agreed and said, amen.